Well, Baruch Chaba, listeners, uh, thank you for this interesting uh, edition of Not About Us. We're, I, I suppose you can't say live, but we're on video for the first time ever. We're trying something new, see if it works. I really apologize to all of you that you do have to look at this now, so sorry about that. But uh, hey, uh, we'll see what happens with it. Uh, as always, I'm Scott. And I'm Brad. And this is not about us. So anyway, we are here with another Genesis podcast. Um, I guess, Brad, uh, why don't we just start it right off in prayer and just uh, kick this whole thing off for everyone uh, with inviting Yahweh in. Absolutely. Yahweh, Yeshua, Holy Spirit, as always, we just want to lift you up. We want to give you the praise, the glory, the respect that you deserve. And oh, you deserve yes, it all. You deserve it all. We're going to sit down for Genesis, trying something new uh, to connect to our listeners, now possibly viewers. And uh, I hope that this will just help us reach more people with the things that you want them to know. Yeah. But Scott and I don't know what you want them to know. So we need your help. Absolutely. As always, we want this to be less about us. And we want to be all about you. That's right. Because it's not about us. It is about you. We love you. We respect you. We will give you all the glory that we can. And we know that you will glorify yourself in this. So please be here with us. Be with our listeners, and uh, help guide this thing the way that you want it to go. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Um, just a couple of technical notes for everyone. We are recording this as of Friday, March 26, 2021. Uh, also, we were planning on using a uh, camera for this, but it's charging, so this particular one is using a webcam. If you watch another video episode that we do and it looks a little different, that could be why. Uh, but, you know, we're going to try this, see what happens, and here we go. I'm just, uh, I've been pushing some stuff to YouTube. Um, we'll talk more about that in the conversation. we got some news about that. Um, but, uh, you know, and I create these little videos, and I love being artistic, and, and I'll probably, you know, still add some of the, that video stuff to this. Um, i got to mess around with that. Don't know if I can. I don't know what that'll look like, but... but uh, the truth is, we want to connect with you guys. We really, we really do. Um, on the website, we, you know, we're now accepting prayer requests. If there's something that uh, that you're really struggling with, and you want some, yeah. you want some buddy, somebody else, you know, helping you out with that, uh, feel free to put the prayer request on there, and you know, you can tell us, hey, I'm okay. If you want to bring that up in the podcast, and we'll pray for you on the podcast, um, or. If you're like, no, guys, I just need your help. I just want it to be between us. We'll do that for you, too. Um, but, yeah, we just want to connect with you and hoping that this might be a good way that uh, we can do that. So, anyway, Scott, I'm looking forward to Genesis. Let's do it. All right. So, as ever, everyone who's been um, going along with us into Genesis knows, we ended last podcast with Genesis 6, 1 and 2, and we ended it kind of on a confusing note, and that was with intent, because Genesis 6, 1 and 2, uh, the part about the sons of Elohim, the daughters of, of men, uh, it is confusing. There's some conflict there, and I wanted to kind of accurately express that confusion last time, so I intentionally didn't, I won't say I didn't prepare, but I didn't uh, fully have everything ready to go. I kind of wanted to throw out just, 
I suppose I wanted to state it in, in not state it in an intentionally confusing way, but but honestly show you, uh, let you feel the confusion about what's going on with these verses. Well, it's such an interesting time in our in our history that we have no idea what it was actually like. Mm -hmm. We can only really imagine. Uh, the Bible tells us, but we still have to fill in the gaps sometimes with some of our imagination and. And uh, so sometimes, it, and and when it comes to most scripture, my imagination just doesn't do the job sometimes. Yeah, you and know? and we are trying to be accurate. I mean, you know, it it history happens a particular way. We might not know exactly what that is, but we're trying our best to stick to what God wants us to understand about it, not what we want it to be like. I think that's the difference between science and religion, really. Uh, as I've said before, I'm not opposed to science. Whoa, the camera's changing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little less silly. No, in fact, I'm uh, I'm very much pro-science and anti-religion. I've said this before, and I define that as science, the study of what is, and and Yahweh is, and, and what he has created, uh, we are he wants us to know he wants us to discover him in his creation uh religion as i define it is the man-made rules that we create on our own uh to try to i suppose solve the question of who god is instead of seeking god we try to figure it out for ourselves that's not a great definition, I admit, on a lot of levels, but it's the way I see it. So that's why I wanted to say it that way, so I, you guys know what's going on I with love, the way I speak. I love investigating God, His Word, His world, His, mm -hmm. the creation, you know, how did He make us work, all of that kind of stuff. Right. The problem with popular, uh, especially modern-day science, is uh, they have these crazy theories, and then they have to try to find facts uh, t to you know, kind of collaborate that crazy theory, right? And so it's it's the it's the the theories in science that I don't necessarily always appreciate because I can't find truth in them. Um, but actual science of I just, I want to know who God is, uh, you know, more deeply. I want to understand His creation and how and how we have our part in it. That kind of stuff, awesome. And mm -hmm. I and I love doing that kind of stuff too. Right. So, as we've said before, we're not perfect. We're going to get a lot of things wrong. Mm -hmm. Awesome. You know, I say, what do you mean <laughs> awesome that you're going to get it wrong? I mean, God knows we're all imperfect. God wants us all to chase. Wherever we are, we can go after him, and, and he will reveal himself to us where we need him at that moment. We don't have to be perfect in everything in order to, to chase him and in order to share him with others. He never expected any of us to be perfect uh, while alive on this earth, but he constantly wants us to continue to grow towards him. That's what we're trying to do here. And let me start again uh, with where we were, where we ended up last time. We're trying to find truth uh, as much as we can. Genesis 6, 1 through 2 says... And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of Elohim saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives whomsoever they chose. Now, like I said, last time we kind of threw this out there, went over some of the, the Hebraic roots of sons and daughters and wives and a few other words like that. I really want to focus this time on that word that phrase sorry sons of elohim what does that mean what does it truly mean we went over to some of the possible meanings of sons of elohim according to scholars according to uh, many men throughout history there are three primary uh, meanings for sons of elohim one that they were great princes. They were great men on the earth. And, and when it says that they saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives whomsoever they chose, 
Uh, many people interpret this to mean they gave in to their selfish lusts. These were men of God, great men who basically said, ah, you know what, I'm going to live selfishly from now on. This, the, the lust is just too great. I'm going after that. Uh, the second is that these sons of Elohim are the sons of the lineage of Sheth, uh, Seth, as we say in English, uh, and they they were the godly line, and they were and God wanted them to stay apart from the lineage of Cain or Cain, and they saw that the daughters of Cain were very beautiful, and they said, "No, we want that. Uh, God, forget you. We're going after that." Uh, the third is that the sons of Elohim refer to angelic beings, uh, uh, spiritual beings uh, who saw the daughters of humanity, the daughters of Adam, and said, you know what? We're leaving our heavenly place to go after that lust right there. With that, That's what we want, and that's what we're deciding to do. Now, as I've said before in several podcasts, I don't have all the answers, uh, and I don't claim to have all the answers. We're here for an honest discussion. We're here to see what we can pull out. And uh, I'm not claiming to stand stand here and say, I've discovered all truth. You must follow me uh, in order to be right with God. Never want to make that claim. Uh, I will say for fairness, I follow along with the sons of Elohim being angelic beings. And I'm going to get into that right now. I wanted to throw that out to be fair, uh, to let you know uh, I have studied, I have examined to the best of my ability so far. This is the conclusion I've come to. I'm going to go into why right now. Uh, but if you feel I'm wrong, that's why I wanted to throw it out there because I'm not perfect. I could be wrong. I'm very open to evidence and, and when it gets presented. And if you feel that I've missed something, please feel free to contact us and reveal it. But I'm going to go into why. Uh, first of all, both of the first two, uh, the first two meanings, these are great princes of the earth uh, who fell to their lusts. They were the sons of Sheth who fell to the lust of the, the daughters of Cayenne. They have a lot of problems in the sense that, first of all, where do giants come from? We haven't gotten there yet, but it says the product uh, of this these unions were giants. How is that possible? When you have humanity having relations with humanity. You know, when a cow has relations with a cow, you have a cow. Hmm. When a cat has relations with a cat, you have a cat. Uh, 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 walrus with a walrus, you have a walrus. Each is after its own, as we've we've already gone in other podcasts in Genesis. And if you have a human being who mates with another human being, Brad, what do you have? A human being? Really? Wow. <laughs> and and yet, so how did giants just spawn from that? There's no logical explanation given. Uh, there's no there's no real explanation given on for that question. For one thing. The other is that I, as I looked into these, uh, and I, I mentioned in the last podcast, it became apparent that there's no true evidence for either one of these theories. Uh, it seems to have occurred from men in the, the early church history, in the, the third, fourth, fifth centuries, becoming very embarrassed uh, that people were picking on them about uh, their belief in angels and demons and that kind of thing. They basically said, okay, God, that's all right. But all of these other spiritual forces, you're an idiot if you believe that. And the Christians were becoming very cautious, very uh, afraid uh, that they'd look stupid. And so it seems to be that these, uh, these theories came about because they were just trying to find a way to, to explain away the angelic definition. Uh, it also appears that the sons of Elohim were, as being angelic beings, were understood as being angelic beings by the early church, by uh, everyone who lived during biblical times. It, that was just 
an assumption that was made that was that was just the belief and there was no reason to contradict it now we can say well that in and of itself doesn't mean it's true which is correct but the fact that they all believed it does uh, indicate there's a reason uh now we could say it's mass ignorance uh, okay, but where did that come from? Why did they all collectively believe the same thing if it was ignorance? So here's some of the pieces of evidence I found for it to be angels. One of them is the simple fact, and we mentioned this before. We didn't go into it in as great a detail as I'm going to go into now, but we mentioned it before that there are other times in the Bible that this phrase, Benecha Elohim in Hebrew, is exactly used that way. There's only five times. This is one of them right here, Genesis 6, 1 and 2. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the B'nai Ha'elohim saw the daughters of men. Now the other four times. The first uh, is in Job 1, 6. Now it fell upon a day that the B'nai Ha'elohim came to present themselves before Yahweh. And Hasatan, or Satan, Lucifer, came also among them. Job 2.1, it's the same situation, a different time, but same thing going on. Again, it fell upon a day that the Benecha Elohim came to present themselves before Yahweh. And Hasatan came also among them to present himself before Yahweh. So obviously we have angelic beings presenting themselves before Yahweh. It can't be humanity. Uh, it's, it's, it's flat out, I mean, well, it's impossible from our perspective that humanity is just traveling from the earth to heaven under our own power, uh, saying, all right, let's go visit God. Uh, in addition to that, this is a time of Job. It's, it's past the time of Adam. Man has fallen and God clearly said, you can't look upon me anymore. You'll die. You can't see. We've, we've gone over those verses uh, in, in your Revelation study as well, uh, several podcasts, but we talk about cannot look upon the face of God anymore or you'll die. So how could it be humanity coming before God, presenting themselves before God? It, it doesn't make sense. This, these are angels uh, or angelic beings. I, I want to specify that too because... A lot of times in the Bible where it uses the word angels, uh, it comes from a, a Hebrew word which actually means messengers. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean angelic beings. This is specifically referring to spiritual beings. So I, I do separate angels from angelic beings. I will, I will try to use it that way. If I, if I slip, forgive me. What I mean are spiritual beings at, at this point. Now, again in Job, Job 38, 7. Now, this is one of the many verses and the several, several chapters where God is chastising Job. We've gotten to the point where he's saying, who do you think you are? Job, who do you think you are? What is wrong with you? Did you create the mountains? Did you teach the eagle how to fly? What, who, what is, where are you coming from? And this is one of those verses that he's doing this and specifically... In this section, he's talking about the creation of the universe uh, before the earth is even made. He's talking about the creation of the stars and the galaxies. And in Job 38, 7, he says, When the morning stars sang together and all the B'nai Ha'elohim shouted for joy. Now, that's, that's the verse. In the context, he's saying, he goes on to say, you know, do you have anything to do with that? Uh, but again... How could that be referring to humanity when the earth isn't even created yet? Adam hasn't been created yet. Uh, so it's specifically talking to the angelic host, spiritual beings, uh, shouting for joy at what Yahweh has done. And then again in Daniel 3.25, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is the, this is the fire story. They've been thrown into the huge fire for not bowing the knee uh, to the idol. And the fire is so hot that the people who threw them into the fire be, are incinerated uh, because they're so close. The fire is that hot. And the king uh, speaks, 
And the verse says, he answered and said, behold, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a B'nai Ha Elohim. So again, this can't be a human being. The fire is so hot, it's burning anyone who gets close to it. How can someone in the very center of it still be alive if he's human and be keeping Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego alive? So does it seem logical that these four instances of Benecha Elohim are angelic beings of some kind? To me, absolutely. I think part of the problem is, is kind of what you kind of mentioned already, pride gets in the way. Uh, people yeah. get embarrassed when they say, I believe, I believe that the Bible is 100% true. Uh, there were giants on the earth. And, and there's evidence, by the way, of that. But mm -hmm. it's getting harder to find because, once again, people have theories and they have to create facts for their theories. But when there's evidence to the contrary, they have to find a way to, you know, make that disappear. Because if, yep. if we find evidence of giants... Uh, on the earth, that suddenly makes scripture look a little more accurate. But uh, what I always find crazy is um, uh, Dawkins and Bill Nye the Science Guy and all these people, they're starting to suggest some pretty crazy theories of their own about Martians, um, you know, coming here in the primordial soup mix and helping create humanity and all the life and everything like that. I want to know why is that acceptable? Yeah. But believing in <laughs> angels uh, uh, protecting, you know, God's people and, and uh, you know, God creating the earth and all of that is harder to swallow. Like, mm -hmm. it, it just, it just, it boggles my mind. Uh, but I do, I think it comes down to pride. Humans want to be right. No, I agree. Uh, but it seems pretty clear from just these four verses, not mm -hmm. Genesis 6, but just these four verses that it's clear an angelic being is being referred to. I believe so, yes. So why would Genesis 6, 1 and 2 be any different? If that exact phrase is used five times in the scripture and the other four times are obviously an angelic being, why would the fifth one be any different? For the fifth one to be different, we would need specific explanation as to why why this should be interpreted differently than every other time. A good and we of, don't have that. A good rule of thumb with Scripture is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Mm -hmm. So if you read something and you're not sure about it, you find it in other parts of Scripture and you start to see a pattern of what it's supposed to be. Right. So why they would break that pattern here in this one instance does boggle the mind. Exactly. Um, also, uh, Peter and Jude, I'm going to get into both, but first Peter... Uh, discusses this uh, in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 10. Now, I'm not going to read all of that right now, but I want to highlight 1 through 10 so you can check it out. Because in 1 through 10, he's talking, he's encouraging the believers of his day, and hopefully us, if, if we're reading and paying attention too. But he's talking about how false teachers are going to bring destruction into the church. And he talks, what he talks about in this section is he goes back to the Old Testament and he brings up Noah's time and he brings up the time of Lot. And he uses them as an example how God will destroy the wicked and save the righteous. Now in the Greek, it was brought up uh, by one of the other people I was uh, checking out for reference. Uh, they said in the, in the Greek text, it is specifically, it's broken down these two stories are each broken down into two sections apiece. Uh, the first section talks about the destruction of the wicked. The second uh, section talks about uh, saving the righteous. But, but each section is connected together. They're meant to be together. First the story of Noah, then the story of Lot. So in Lot, which I'm not going to read here, you can check it out. He basically says Sodom and Gomorrah happened. They were wiped out, but Lot was saved out of that. So it's all part of one story, all, all connected. In 2 Peter 2, 4 and 5, he says, and again, for those of you who don't know, I'm reading from the Hebraic Roots version. Uh, so before I get into this, I want to specify 
they use the word takti. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Takti, and it is the it means the lowest part of hell. So when I say takti, that's what it's referring to. For if Eloah did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to takti and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noach, one of eight people, a proclaimer of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the wicked. And I'm kind of trailing off there because Peter goes on to, to talk about Lot, and you know we're not going to go into that right now. But you can see he's connecting these angels. He did not spare the angels who sinned. They are a part of the Noah story. That's important. He's not talking about Lucifer. He's not talking about Lucifer and, and, and those angels. He's, these angels are directly connected to Noah. So here we have Peter, who is, is like we said before, the whole world believed this at that time. Uh, we have Peter directly connecting these angels with Noah. And he calls them. He did not spare the angels who sinned. So he's saying these are angelic beings who are part of this story. The ones who sinned, the ones in Genesis 6, 1 and 2, the, the B'nai Ha Elohim who saw the daughters of men and took them wives and went off on their selfish pleasures. Peter says flat out they're angels. So we have Peter's testimony. Uh, before I go on, anything you want to mention or that jumps out at you? I just thought that was a good good point there. I I, I know about those verses, but I hadn't connected that to to, to this, so no, I thought okay. that was a good point. Now Jude, uh, one six through seven. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read here, but again, the greater part of Jude, he's doing the same thing that Peter did. He is talking about false teachers, and he's also showing how the Old Testament. God delivered his people and he punished the wicked. And Jude 1, 6 through 7, And the angels who did not keep their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As, and Hebrew, I'm, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, as Saddam and Amorah, we would say Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So there, there's a lot in that that we're going to get into in a second here. There, there, there's more. So Jude is expounding upon what the angels did. But it's important the angels who did not keep their first estate, but left their own habitation. The verbiage here is specific. And this is not, again, I want to point out, this is not Lucifer and his fallen angels. They rebelled. They did not leave. The In Genesis 6, 1, it says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the earth, Daughters are born unto them. The sons of Elohim saw the daughters of men, and they took them wives. These were angelic beings who at that time had not sinned. These are not the demons who rebelled. See, when Satan, Hasatan, Lucifer, when he left heaven, it was war. He went after the throne. He went after the power of God. He went after God himself. He rebelled directly, attacked God, and said, I want your throne, I want your crown, I want your rulership, I want to be God. These are angels who sinned. They, they left their habitation. They weren't in direct conflict with God the way Lucifer was. They fell to their own lusts, and they, as Jude says here, they did not keep their first estate. They weren't. They had a purpose for God. Their first estate. They had a place uh, that God had designed for them. They left 
their own habitation. So these are angelic beings who are seeking something else. And so they just willingly walk away from God. That's their problem. So this is not referring to Lucifer. Uh, so that's what I want to point out here. Anything you want to chime in on that one? No, I think I'm okay there. Okay. So now I do want to make a connection right here before going on that he, he expounds upon what these angels did. He says, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, so he, he's talking about these angels who did not leave their first estate and they're reserved for you know judgment on the great day as, so just like Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. That is a specific use. He's expanding. Uh, the previous verses say they went after women, saw that they were beautiful. Here he goes on to say they went after bestiality. They went after all kinds of sexual sin. And I can believe that because if these fallen angels gave into these lusts and left God, at that point, their connection with God is cut off. Mm -hmm. They no longer have the light of God flowing through them. There's no connection there. Now they went after their lusts. Now that is the only thing that rules them. So being completely separated from God, it's not, right here, it specifies what they did. Uh, it, Jude is making the direct comparison to them and Sodom and Gomorrah and all the, the, the various types of sexual sins that they did. But he's flat out saying the angels, these angels did the same. And I can believe that. Because once you, like I said, when you leave God, you're ruled by your lusts. Now your lusts are just guiding everything. And you've talked about it before. The wonderful thing about being a slave to God, because he is love and he is purity. And if, you're, and if we're given in to that and letting him rule everything that we have, everything we have is going to be love. Mm -hmm. And we're going to act in love and we're going to act in purity. Yep. When they said, I want my Lord to be lust, now lust rules them and it's going to break forth into all of these types of different sins. Wow. Man. So I'm just making the connection because we're going to kind of get back on that subject in a little bit, but I want you to see where these angels are specifically mentioned by Jude as not just having given them over themselves over to women, but going after all kinds of strange flesh. So... Anything before I keep going? <laughs> <laughs> no, just I've no, and then I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a common theme. Um, but I, you and I, we've both read some um, some books about some theories about what's going on in this time period too, and mm -hmm. and just the genetic the, the genetic warfare that was going on at this point too. If they're chasing after strange flesh, if they're if they're intermingling with different things, mm -hmm. this is this is probably how we're getting these giants and some of these other weird uh things that were going on during this time. Um I mm -hmm. I don't think like I said, I don't think that these are Satan's rebellious angels, but right. I do think Satan is using them to try to create his bastardized version of of creation yeah. on the on earth now i will say that was a new thought to me as of just a few years ago that i did not realize that there were other angels that fell after satan mm -hmm. and uh it but as i look at the evidence there it, it doesn't make sense that these were angels that fell with satan at that time there's a separation here i think i and i think it's actually going to happen um again too um i i i kind of will get that into that in my revelation study but I okay think, i think god uh in my revelation study I, I bring up a point that um god's going to judge the church first for a good reason mm -hmm. he's going to test the the hearts of his people first and i think the same thing kind of happens with the angels i think they were tested and the ones that were courageous enough to stay true to God, they too will also have their reward. But 
uh, I think the same yeah. thing is going to happen with us. And I'll talk more about that in Revelation. But Good deal. So that's a tease. <laughs> so Revelation, uh, is it number 10 now? Or is it It'll are we be, on like 11, 12? This will be 11. 11? Okay. Yeah. Revelation 11 is what he's teasing. Go check that out too. <laughs> so anyway, now and something else I want to point out here. The Hebraic, the Hebraic Roots version notes for this quote, and the angels who did not keep their first estate. It highlights that and it points out in, in this, the, what do you call it, subtext? Or what, what do you call that when it makes yeah. its little notes? Just the okay. commentary notes. Commentary or, notes. Yeah. It notes that this section is referring directly both to Genesis 6.1 and Enoch 6.1. Now, I kind of briefly mentioned Enoch before. I'm going to get a little into that now. Genesis 6, 1 and 2. I'm going to reread it. We, I keep rereading it. Not sure why, but go with me. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of Elohim saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives whomsoever they chose. Genesis 6, 1 and 2. Now I'm going to read Enoch. 6, 1, and 2, followed by Enoch 7, 1. I'm just going to read them straight through. And it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied, that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children of the heavens, saw and lusted after them and said to one another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men and beget us children. And all the others together with them took unto themselves wives, and each chose for himself one, and they began to go in unto them and to defile themselves with them. Obviously, uh, a huge similarity here between the two readings. Uh, again, I want to emphasize, Enoch is not scripture, and I am not claiming that it is at all. It can be treated as historical text. It was written according to the book of Enoch. Uh, it was written by Enoch. Now that is debated, uh, whether that's actually true or not. And quite frankly, uh, I, I side with the fact that Enoch, uh, the book of Enoch is not canon to scripture and, and has its errors uh, for various reasons. I believe this is one of them. I believe uh, personally, uh, you, you feel free to disagree. I believe that Enoch was something that was spoken by Enoch, and I believe it originated with Enoch, but I believe it was orally uh, given to the people and passed down and continued on until someone else decided to write it down. So when you have that much time, that many people it goes through, um, I, I believe there's some you know the gist of it we can accept as as this is what enoch told us this is the story that enoch gave but i don't believe it's scripture because i don't believe it's perfect i don't believe every jot and tittle every line every punctuation mark is exactly where yahweh wanted it i think it was a story passed down through the ages and can be referred to as history we can get an understanding of what was going on and what they believed and what happened but I don't believe it can be treated as scripture. It's like playing the telephone game. And the difference mm -hmm. is this version, the Holy Spirit wasn't with each person in line. Correct. So the Holy Spirit wasn't there guiding to make sure that it was absolute truth. So, yes, um, there can't. you can find some actual good points about history. And I like those kind of books because it also kind of helps me get into the mindset of the mm -hmm. people in those time periods. Which is, is another value yeah. of this book, yes. Which, but I can do that also with other things, uh, you know, the Odyssey and whatnot. Correct. Being able to at least have an idea of what people thought and how they spoke and, and all those kind of things, does it can help uh, when you're caught up in something that you're just not understanding. Right. You know. Now, another thing I, I've discovered about the book of Enoch is that one of the reasons people don't like to call it scripture is the same reason uh, that that for the, they came up with the whole theory about the sons of Sheth being the, the B'nai Ha Elohim and all of that. There was an embarrassment about angels. And in the book of Enoch, they mentioned many, many more angels mm -hmm. than in the Bible by name. 
and many of them are exactly like the Bible, which is another testimony uh, of of its veracity and of the, the fact that it at least has some accuracy. It mentions Gabriel, it mentions Michael, angels who are mentioned in the Bible by name, uh, but it mentions many, many others. So people were embarrassed by it and said, well, then Enoch can't be scripture because of all these angelic beings. I don't necessarily agree with that logic. Uh, I just want to throw it out there to you that it exists. It's one of the reasons it's not considered scripture. Um, also, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, the book itself claims to have been written by Enoch, but Brad and I have recently seen a series, uh, the, the Moses, the, the, uh, uh, the Patterns, patterns of, evidence. of Evidence, thank you, uh, which they go into the fact that, you know, when was writing created? How, you know, how could this have been written by Enoch if writing didn't exist at that time? And in that book, they go, or in that, that documentary series, he shows how the evidence seems to suggest that writing did come along a lot earlier than what a lot of scholars believe, maybe, you know, uh, eight, nine hundred years earlier, uh, at least, at least alphabetic writing. They knew hieroglyphics, Egyptian hieroglyphics and that kind of thing was around for a long time, but an actual alphabet. Many people believe the Phoenicians were the first ones to create the alphabet, and and then other languages kind of evolved out of that. Now they're finding evidence to show that Hebrew was very probably the very first alphabet, and the Phoenicians actually got it from them. Mm -hmm. And it is the other way around. And the Hebrew actually came out much, much earlier. The crazy thing about that is I, I do not speak Hebrew. I have done some courses to try to write in Hebrew, um, but that's modern Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And watching that documentary, they were showing some examples of this first kind of alphabet, and I could look at it knowing the very little bit that I do, and I went, that's a left. Yeah. You know, I, I could look at it, and, and I could see, well, I know what that is. So, so they were showing... They were doing that in the documentary to show how Moses could have written, because that's one of the, the the beliefs that you know Moses couldn't have written uh, the the Torah because there was no alphabet when he was around, and they show that how not only was there an alphabet, but it had been around for about five hundred years before mm -hmm. Moses. And but the reason I bring it up now is because this five hundred years before Moses was the time of Joseph, was the time of. You know Joseph going into Egypt and going into slavery and then ruling that is far beyond where Enoch is so to to say Enoch wrote actually wrote the book of Enoch you'd have to prove that a a, a language existed that would have kept up and people would have understood many years in the future far before that time, mm -hmm. which is why I tend to believe at this moment, I can always be swayed by evidence that comes out later. I tend to believe Enoch didn't personally write it. Enoch personally gave the original story. Enoch originally gave the telling of the story to people, but I believe it was written much later by someone else. And I don't necessarily believe the Holy Spirit was guiding the person who did it. Um, I assume Enoch was a man of wisdom. People mm -hmm. came to him and, and they wanted to know about... They, they, were, they were very early scientists. They wanted to know about the world around them. And this guy has a connection to God. And he's a wise man. And so I imagine that they came to him. They listened to his, his, what, how he described the world. And they kept those for a long period of time. Passed right. down one person after another. Until you're right. It eventually got written down because they were like, this is important. Mm -hmm. This is important mm -hmm. history. And it was, like I said, even if it was orally passed down and never written down, it was orally passed down enough that the, the, the people of that time all knew these stories mm -hmm. and, and understood them and believed them to, uh, to be true. Now, and again, one of the reasons I bring it up is because it is important when we can to get outside external evidence to the facts of what was going on at the time. For example, Josephus in his writings talks about this man Jesus mm -hmm. and, and what he was doing. So we have external evidence, uh, recorded uh, evidence that Jesus existed outside of what the Bible says about him. That's why I'm bringing Enoch up. Uh, along those lines, we additionally, Enoch seems to be providing more detail 
with what we have already discussed. Now, I kind of mentioned this when we were going over the lineage of Cayenne, but we're going to talk about it right now. Genesis 4, 20 through 22. We've gone over an earlier podcast, and this is the lineage of Cayenne, and Adah bore Yeval. He was the father of such as dwell in tents and have cattle, and his brother's name was Yuval. And he was the father of all such as handle the harp and the pipe. And Zillah, and she also bore Tuval Cayenne, the forger of every cutting instrument of brass and iron. And the sister of Tuval Cayenne was Naama. Again, if I'm pronouncing those Hebrew words incorrectly, I apologize, sorry. Uh, Enoch 8.1 says this, And Azazel, one of these angels, taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates and made known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working them and bracelets and ornaments and the use of antimony and the beautifying of the eyelids and all kinds of costly stones and all coloring tinctures. Now, I didn't, I'm not going to read them all here, but Enoch goes into other angels also teaching men different things and he names them and what they were taught. So do we have a connection here? Is this expanding upon what Genesis 4 told us that suddenly men had this knowledge that, that these people were considered the father and, and the forger of this new information, of this new knowledge. We get into Enoch and it shows that the angels who are coming down and having wives and having these children are sharing their knowledge with their kids, with their people, with, with the people of, uh, of the, the wives that they've taken. I'm not going to say absolutely yes. I'm not going to say absolutely no. It seems to fall in line with that. So that's why I'm going to throw it out there. It seems to be filling in some of the gaps uh, that Genesis does. Uh, I, I shouldn't say gaps. It seems to be filling in a little more information to what Genesis already gives us. Right. Now, one of the contradictions to why the sons of Elohim cannot be angels is that people will say Matthew 22.30 claims the angels cannot have sex. So this is what Matthew 22.30 says. And this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And, and to provide a little context, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, we've got a woman here who dies. And while she was alive, she had seven different husbands. So who's she going to be married to when she gets to heaven? And Jesus responded and he said, You do err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of Elohim. For in the resurrection they marry not, neither are they betrothed, but are as the angels of Elohim in heaven. Jesus did not say the angels cannot have sex. He just said they don't marry. He was describing how we would be like that in heaven. We're not going to marry each other. We're not going to pair up and, and man and woman, you go off together, this man and woman. We're going to be the bride of Christ. The marriage here on earth is a physical example, as I say many times. It's a physical example to help us understand spiritual realities. You understand how marriage works how it's supposed to work anyway, if you're following the Bible, if you're understanding God's laws and, and desires for it, uh, we live marriage. You know, if you, uh, a man, are married to a woman, if you, a woman, are married to a man, you experience it. You live it in your own physical life. That helps you understand. By experiencing, you go, oh, this is marriage. So when God talks about being us being the bride of Christ, us being married to him, then we can start to say, oh, I, I'm, I'm getting it. I, I understand. That's what the physical example is intended to do, is to help reveal spiritual truth. We are going to be married to Yahweh. We're not going to be married to you. This is what Jesus was saying. No, you don't get it. In the resurrection, men aren't going to be married to women. It doesn't happen like that. They're going to be like the angels. 
Not that they don't have sex, that they don't marry each other. So there's no contradiction here. Jude says they left their proper dwelling place. In heaven they don't marry, but these angels abandoned that to go after their own sexual immorality. That's what happened. There's no contradiction there. Now, I want to move on to Genesis 6-3, but before I do that, I do want to briefly kind of go back. I want to stay in Gen... <coughs> Pardon me. I want to stay in Genesis 6, 1 and 2 briefly. I want to talk about something else that we mentioned before. And it's about this, and Brad brought it up uh, earlier, talking about how they were like Sodom and Gomorrah, going after all manner of strange flesh. And we're going to get into this a little bit more. I'm going to kind of bring it up now, and we'll get into it more as other verses warrant. Luke 17 26 through 30. This is Jesus telling his disciples about the last days. And he says, And as it was in the days of Noah, thus will it be in the days of the Son of Man. For they were eating and drinking and taking wives and giving to husbands until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and took them all. And it will be again as it was in the days of Lot, when they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. And on the day that Lot went out from Saddam, Yahweh rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed all of them. Thus it will be in the day that the Son of Man is revealed. And that's, I thought about that. And, and it's also in Matthew. Jesus says similar things. He leaves out Sodom and Gomorrah. He just mentions it will be like the days of Noah. Why? Why is he specifically talking about the days of Noah and the days of Lot? And again, I also notice that right here, Jesus connects the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Peter connects the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Jude connects the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Why? Why does this specifically why is he referring to as it was in the days of Noah, so it would be? Because if he's talking about just simply, you know, it's going to be very sinful and people are going to be crazy and, and, and rebelling against God and all of that. Why didn't he just say as it was throughout all of history, so it will be in the end? That's not going to change. But no, he specifies the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And that, that got to me. It's like, why this particular time? Now, there are many reasons, and one of them is mentioned here. They're going to be eating, they're going to be drinking, they're going to be taking wise. They're, a lot of people are going to be blind, and they're not looking for what's to come. And then, boom, it happens. Even though Noah was preaching repentance for 120 years, <laughs> it's going to catch them. They're blind to it. It's going to catch them by surprise. They've got plenty of warning. It's still going to catch them by surprise. How many atheists, how many, how many non-religious people still have heard about Armageddon and Jesus returning and, and all of this type of thing? They know about it. They don't believe it, but they know about it. Uh, <clears throat> one of the reasons I believe, and this is a personal belief. I'm just going to throw it out there. We're, we, we'll get into it as versus warrant getting into it. Genetic manipulation is going on behind the scenes at this time. Uh, there's a lot more going into it, but we're getting into it in further verses as, as other, I already have, there's other verses that are coming that I don't want to just jump into right now. But I do believe there was some genetic manipulation going on as it's going on now. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those things that, again, it's behind the scenes. People are giving to be married. People are living their lives. They're planting. They're harvesting. They're going on all the while in the background. Uh, the demon spawn are committing the same genetic manipulations that they were in Noah's time. There are stories that centaurs, satyrs, mermaids, all of these myths came from this specifically right here. What Lot referred to, that the angels were just like Sodom and Gomorrah, going after all manner of strange flesh. So they were having sex, not just with women, 
uh, but they went after other men and homosexuality. They went after uh, cows. They went after horses. They went after fish. They went after all of these types of things because now they're driven by their lust. Their lust is the only thing that matters to them. And they were creating these freaky hybrid creations that throughout time gave birth to these stories. Uh, like I said, the centaurs and things like that. There's that theory out there. And I believe it has some credibility to it because partially that the evidence we're seeing right now. Uh, and when I say evidence, I mean, you know, Jude saying these angels did uh, commit strange acts with all of these animals. And as we're going to go on, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. It does say when the angels had sex with women, the giants were born. So it's, it's obviously, it's not human. It's a different type of creature. So if they had sex with these other animals, what would have happened? Now you can say, well, nothing would have happened. They were just satisfying their lusts. You know, nothing could be. I'm not saying, again, I want to reiterate, I am not the arbiter of all truth. Uh, I throw this out there for consideration. I also think that some of these sons of Elohim are the gods, the lower G gods that are mentioned in other religions, the Phoenician religions, Native yeah. American religions, the Greek and Roman myths, all mm -hmm. those kind of things. I think some of them are the lower G gods. Um, and, you know, I would, my evidence for that is just that you listen to some of those stories. Those gods are very, they're very involved with humans, but not necessarily in a good way. Yes. They like to pick on us. They like to tease us. They like to manipulate us. Yeah. Uh, they, they will ha they will smite us. They will, they will do whatever their emotions want mm -hmm. them to do. If you know, if you're familiar with the Greek and Roman mythologies, you know the gods were not something humans wanted to be involved with. <laughs> right. They were very spiteful, very mm -hmm. horrible, and God, man really didn't want to be involved with them, hoped the gods would leave them alone. And there's plenty of um, Zeus alone. There's plenty of stories of him uh, having sex with human women. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I, I personally say that, they, and, and now from the other side of that, why do, why do they call them gods? Well, because there was obviously something amazing about them. Mm -hmm. They were, there's plenty of times in scripture where someone sees an angel, they start to worship, and the angel says, "No, no, no! I yep. don't worship me. Worship God." But there's still there's still something about them that's so powerful and attractive. Uh, maybe they are bigger in stature. Yeah. Maybe they are. You know, there's something to them. Right. And and if someone would have fallen to one of these beings and worshipped them, and they were out of God's will, they wouldn't have stopped. They them. would have been, "No, give it all to me. I yeah. want it. I uh -huh. want it." Uh, exactly. Yeah. No, I, 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 that's, that's a belief. I, well, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I don't have, I can't point to scripture and say, this is the proof of it, but, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a, I think it's a logical conclusion to make. And I think, yeah. you know, when you continue on in Genesis and you get to the, like the tower of Babel and you realize that all the people at one time were gathered, all of these yeah. stories and legends and, and myths that were all, they all experienced them. Then they're scattered. They still have mm -hmm. them. You know, right. I, but anyway. Now, something I want to point out here is we want to be honest that we don't have all the answers. I want to keep repeating that. Uh, some of this seems to follow patterns of evidence. We, we are trying to find evidence wherever we can. And I don't want to make leaps that, that seem just unjustifiable. So like when we say, I tend to believe this way, uh, it's just that it's it's a belief. It, it it's like it, it's basically saying it's a logical guess. A, a lot of it really is. And if evidence comes up that says no, that couldn't have happened, I will abide by that. We'll go down that road. I'm not trying to come to absolute conclusions with this. Uh, please don't believe that I am. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but where I can, I will say the Word of God says this, <laughs> and and we need to stick with that. Where I can't, we'll discuss, we'll, we'll talk, but, but I never want to appear like, I have it, I'm done, that's it. But um, one of the reasons that I want to mention briefly uh, that I do point out the book of Enoch uh, is, again, the book of Enoch, expounding upon these angelic beings, says in and of itself, in, in the book, in fact, very first part because we're just talking about as in the days of Noah, so will it be in the last days. 
And we're talking about the connection between genetic manipulation and all, and there's, there's other things. We're just kind of mentioned that one in particular, and we'll get into more later. It, there's a connection between the days of Noah and the last days. And Enoch 1, 1 through 3 says this, listen. The words of the blessing of Enoch, wherewith he blessed the elect and righteous who will be living in the day of tribulation when all the wicked and godless are to be removed. And he took up his parable and said, Enoch, a righteous man whose eyes were opened by God, saw he vision of the Holy One in the heavens, which the angels showed me. And from them I heard everything. And from them I understood as I saw, but not for this generation, but for a remote one which is to come. The book of Enoch itself says, this message is for people in the end times, which there's always a connection, as we've seen. Jesus uh, mentioned, jazz in the days of Noah. He's connecting that time with the last days. So there is an importance to this about what we're going through right now. We'll get into a little bit more as we continue on in Genesis 6. As things come up, I just want to reveal, I want to start with that right here. Now, I've really, I've already gone long. We're already looking at an hour on this, and that'll be edited down a little bit, right? Uh, just well, a couple of minutes. I haven't seen too many spots where I probably need to edit too much, yeah, but maybe but, a minute. So, so maybe a minute. So we're already looking at about an hour. I want to do this. Now. Oh, boy, I kid is... <laughs> fairly big. I'm probably looking at another 20 to 30 minutes on just this. Okay. I'm not going to do it because we already have gone so far in this. I am so sorry. I really wanted to get into this next part because it's kind of its own thing. Genesis 6, 3, and then Genesis 6, 4 kind of goes off on another area, but you know, I'm going to stop here. We've already gone for an hour. Sorry about that. This is, uh, hope, hopefully I didn't get too off on tangents or and that all of that with the sons of Elohim, we really just wanted to focus on on what that means and and how it connects to where we are now. And we're still building. We're still building. That's why I wanted to focus on sons of Elohim so much. Is if we because I, I am going to move forward with they were angelic beings, and I really wanted you to see why I'm doing that. Uh, so from here on out, we're just going to treat it as sons of Elohim are angelic beings unless we find evidence otherwise. Then we'll go back, we'll change our minds, and we'll redo what we've done here. Always willing to do that. Always willing to be corrected. Uh, but I thought it was important that when we move forward, even if you disagree with me, you understand why I'm moving forward in this direction. Any last thoughts before I wrap it up? I, I just find the whole conversation fascinating. I, I know that you, you think you might get off track, but this is this is my favorite part of the uh, <laughs> of the studies is when we don't know, because yeah. it is exciting, and we do have to true. we do have to use our imaginations that God gave us, and we do mm -hmm. have to try to. And, we never want to treat our imaginations as if they mean fact, mm -hmm. but but it is yes. We want to analyze. We want to imagine what could it have been. Where does the evidence seem to be leading? But I do want to point out on that note. It's one of the problems, and this is, why I, this is why I pointed out, I always try to find the evidence wherever I can because one of my problems with end times eschatology for years, uh, ever since I've been growing up, I, anyone else remember 88 reasons why Jesus is returning in 1988? Obviously didn't happen. Why did that book happen? Why have people throughout the centuries, they thought this is the time when Jesus is returning and then they were wrong. Uh, because I feel that people get evidence. They get honest-to-God evidence. They get truth, revelation, knowledge, but it's just one piece of this massive picture, and they run with it, and they, they, their minds go nuts, and they come up with, oh, if that's true, then this must be true, and that must be true, and this must be true, and yes, they had one good piece, which is legitimately from God. I don't want to do that. When I bring these up, it could be this, it could be this. I want to emphasize I could be wrong. I am not standing on that as the word of God. 
I'm trying my best to connect the pieces of evidence that I do have. And, and you're right. We need to use our imagination. We need to uh, understand uh, what we can see as best we can see it. But when we get off of the word of God mm-hmm. and we step into imagination, we have to acknowledge that can be wrong. I think God gave us a sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. God gave us imagination. He gave us gut instincts. Yes. You know, we we, we talk about uh, woman's intuition. We talk about gut instincts. I think all of this stuff is real. But I think at the end of the day, uh, he's still saying, yes, go, explore, wonder. But come Absolutely. back to me with your questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think that's... So I think it's totally okay yes. to use your imagination. Uh, and I didn't want to sound it. like I was denying oh, no. your... I want to clarify to everyone. We're not saying invent things <laughs> and say, yep, that's God. Yeah, I just thought about it. Therefore, it's God. That's not what we're saying. Because then that gets into um, idolatry and other things mm-hmm. when you create a version of God in your head. Because what, what, I, what I believe is you still have to go back to him. Um, you know, he, he's, he's your father. He's the wise one. He's letting you explore. He's letting you wander around. He's letting you figure out your world. But he's still the wise father that you need to go back to when you're not sure about something. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. And I definitely believe God is a creator, and He created us in His image. Mm-hmm. So we're a creator. We have mm-hmm. thoughts. We have ideas, and He wants us to have those thoughts. He wants us to explore with our minds. He wants us to do that. Do that. Oh my goodness, and have that realization and the head exploding feeling. He loves it when that happens, I believe, in us. Uh, but you're right, we can't, uh, uh, we're not intended to go down that road exclusively. Mm-hmm. We're intended to bring everything back to Him, and that's what we're trying to do. So, again, if you think we've stepped out of line, please comment, let us know. Uh, we'd be glad to hear it, we'd be glad to uh, examine that evidence. Uh, Anything else? Uh, I, I didn't mean to. <laughs> well, now that we're cut doing this, there. now that we're trying this YouTube thing, um, I, this is usually the part in the videos I watch where they say, "Hey, if you liked what you saw, <laughs> uh, like and subscribe, um, like the video, subscribe." Never thought of that. You're um, right. And uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna keep doing this. We don't, we honestly. I, I don't want to sound rude or anything, but we honestly don't care if we have six subscribers or six thousand subscribers, because we we we're doing this uh, to reach the people that God wants it to reach. Yeah. Um, that if there's two people that watch this and God brought you here, thank God for you. Right. Um, but that being said, I do feel like He's been putting it on my heart lately that I need to try to grow this. He will bring the people. But he doesn't want. I don't think he wants me to be lazy about it. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm going to be a, a. I'm going to do the YouTube thing now, and I'm not. And I'm not going to be ashamed to do it. Please like our video, subscribe to our Absolutely. channel, <laughs> and uh, check out the website, of course, too. If uh, if you found this on YouTube, um, it's it's all going to be in the information part just above the comments. Awesome. So as always, this has been Scott. This has been Brad, and this is not about us.